Daryl Morris on Times Radio. Elsewhere tonight, uh, last week we were considering the deaths of several migrants, weren't we, on the US-Mexico border. And what role the cartels play in that important crossing. It was a reminder of how Mexico is a country that continues to be gripped by organised crime. But it got a lot of people thinking. How many people actually work for the cartel? What do they do? Well, researchers have come up with a number, 175,000 people. That number is contested by some people, but if it were near true, it would make the cartel the country's fifth largest employer. Let's speak to our man in Mexico. John Bonfinglia joins us. He's been pouring over the numbers. Hello, John. Hey, Daryl. Take us into that number then, 175,000 people employed in some capacity by the cartel. Yeah, that is the single biggest takeaway of this a scientific study in the journal Science in which they mathematically modelled cartel activity in Mexico using murders, incarceration and disappearance. But of course, the reason why some of those numbers are contested is because necessarily the cartels only operate in very marginal terms in the public eye. And so using those statistics is only a very small window into uh, into cartel activity. Look, I think uh, always interesting to see what these studies say, but also in some ways more interesting to say, see what they what they're not saying, contemplate what's behind the, the narrative. Now this study models direct membership of cartels. So that's on the ground activity from cultivation through to enforcement. But you know, as we know, any military unit isn't just soldiers, it also requires serious logistics. So this study does not cover, because it's impossible for it to cover, the ancillary human resources which cartels need to function and which provide them, they generate them with the social tentacles which embed them so firmly in the landscape in Mexico. So it doesn't count lawyers, doctors, politicians that may be on the payroll, police, military, as we spoke last week, caterers even. I mean, these things are required for such a broad infrastructure, individuals that may be on the payroll. Also, it only measures against traditional cartel activity and cartels since their very inception have diversified away from drugs into extortion, migrant struggling, things we all know about, fuel fuel theft, uh, protection around the likes of avocados, limes, whatever makes them money. But it's also about economics. So investment in the legal economy, uh, tourism, road building, hospitals, mining, whatever. Now, why is this important in terms of the study? Because I think, uh, and I'm going to put out there, that the real headline is not the fact that the, the cartels are the fifth largest employer. But I think if you take all of that together, they are almost certainly the largest employer in Mexico by some distance. Right. Okay. So you're gonna you're gonna throw a few extra on that 175,000. Yeah. Well, that that, I ma- think that you makes have sense. To. That makes sense when you consider those people who are probably employed by the cartel in some capacity and don't even realise uh, that they're employed by the cartel uh, in in some capacity. Um, if if the cartel were a business, what do you think it'd be worth? Oof. Now, uh, this sort of uh, modelling is tricky. Where I've uh, tried to do the sums on this is looking at specific value of drug economy. So looking at the likes of, say, cocaine uh, exclusively, because that's easier to, I say easier, none of it's straightforward at all. But it's kind of um, a more straightforward project to try and look at the movement of a particular drug or substance, and if we're looking at just the uh, the value of cocaine, again, that's one drug in a variety of different, you know, the whole universe of narcotics and all the other viable economics that cartels engage in. But if we're looking at just um, 
cocaine, we're looking at the GDP of a small country. Really? Right. Goodness me. So is it is it even possible to begin to think about policing that, breaking that up in some way? Now, this is an important second part of the modelling, the study, actually, the, the two big takeaways. One is the size of what you know, they think the, the, the current employment rates of the cartels are. But the second one, actually, this study actually suggests uh, ways in which you might solve the problem in ways in which it manifestly does not work. Um, incarcerating offenders, uh, the study suggests, and we know full well, given some of the coverage that we've done on, uh, on, on Times Radio and on your show, jail simply accelerates growth, given jails are the cartel's best recruiting tool. And cartels basically have to recruit between 350 and 400 people per week to replenish the rank, their ranks from arrest and murder, which they basically achieve with ease. So the conclusion that these scientists um, suggest is the only viable uh, way forward is to increase education and job opportunities for young men in order to generate, to make other opportunities more desirable than joining the rank and file. Because currently working for the cartels is highly desirable. It offers economic and social opportunities, which are basically completely unattainable to working class, to young men growing up in disadvantage. And it's highly romanticized in, you know, in real life, in social settings, but also in song, film, uh, storytelling. So there has to be some kind of long-term viable economic, social, socioeconomic exercise, which not just invalidates those options, but also gives them other choices which are uh, preferential. Yeah. Just, just briefly, John, there was another um, interesting point in this report, that, or, or, or in the coverage of this report at least, that, that um, pointed towards a way that some of the cartel's business could be undermined. And that is something like US states legalising cannabis. And that, that reduces demand effectively there, doesn't it, clearly, for, for, for marijuana from Mexico. And the, the source is that the sort of taking a look at the endpoints of the products that the cartel trade in um, and perhaps making moves to sort of, sort of make it harder to, to, to make their business model unviable. Yeah, and that's already taken place with the uh, legalization of, uh, of, of cannabis in a number of uh, US states north of the border. The, the, the study manifestly refuses to talk a little bit about US policy, but of course it is a palpable, you know, it's the, it's the elephant in the room that, again, if we go back to the, I always go back to the economics of these things. So the economics of these things are that there is mass demand, again, if we're just talking specifically about the narcotics, north of the border in the USA, uh, in Canada also, and various other parts of, of the world, which just make these things uh, an economic no-brainer in terms of poorer countries that are not that far away, that have transit routes, up to the USA uh, and and Canada. And of course, again, it's an economic no-brainer that if you can remove some of those, if you can generate parallel structures economically to remove some of those, the financial gain lines there, was, of course, that is going to have a net effect. Yeah. Um, really interesting, John. So, so interesting, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and I think I get... Can people, can people find... Because I think it's really worth kind of reading and taking a proper reading. Where, people, where can people find it, John? Where can people find the, the study? Yeah, uh, or, or I guess yeah, you know, where's, where's the best place to go to sort of to look at yeah, the coverage but, uh, of the study as well? So the the, the journal Science is where it's uh, where it's at. Uh, you know, you can just Google uh, journal Science uh, Mexico cartels and it comes up straight away. There's been 
a fair bit of coverage around it. Uh, coverage varies around what they actually say about uh, the study, and actually the focus on it is, uh, or there's certainly the title and the and the and the short on it is about how to move forward away from the current status quo. But of course, you know, much of the the coverage, understandably, is the sheer level, size, and power of. Uh, of the cartels. Also, I think it's really interesting because most cartels did not start as crime agencies. I mean, much of Latin America existed a vacuum of governance, or at least governance by elected bodies, and into these spaces that organized crime, paramilitary groups, revolutionaries, whatever, uh, which have to organize locally to to survive. And then part of that surviving, of course, is funding. Where do we get the money from? You will have, in the news cycles of the last couple of days, there's been this 11,000 soldiers in Venezuela stepped into a prison to try and take it back from the Tren de Aragua gang. Now, that gang started off as steelworkers. They were a steelworkers union that formed to defend themselves from uh, from pay abuses, but also a number of other abuses in the middle of Venezuela whilst they were building a railway in the centre of the country. And due to the threats that they faced, they gradually evolved into, present day, a massive transnational organisation. It's no accident that most of the leaders and power structures of the cartels are all working class males. Mm, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, we're out of time, John, but always really, really fascinating. Thank you so much. No problem, take care. You too. Uh, John Bonfiglio with us in Mexico tonight on the numbers behind the cartel. Interesting that.